for the last six weeks, uh, our series has been seven simple prayers that can change your life, and we're going to finish uh, tonight. We've started every week with this same verse in Luke chapter 11, came to pass that as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And I think I've made the point every week. It wasn't so much Jesus teach us how to pray, give us a, a plan or a method. It was, Jesus, we've watched you pray, and it's so natural, and it flows so easily. Teach us to pray. What they were saying is, teach us to pray like you pray. 2,000 years ago, the disciples brought him that request. And in his answer, in giving them what we now call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was simply telling us that prayer is a conversation with God. And so for the last six weeks and finishing tonight on the seventh week, we've been following the seven phrases of the Lord's Prayer, and we've been following the seven I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. These prayers are so simple that, in fact, they're one-word prayers. And uh, since this is a teaching series, you get to do it one more time. Just a little bit of review. We started here, our Father, which art in heaven, and with Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And the very first prayer we encounter is the way into this. It's, it's the access to this. It's a prayer of a child to their father because they know their father can, can assist them. You remember that first prayer? I almost said it. Help. We can say, help, Jesus. I need you right now. God is your heavenly father. If it matters to you, it matters to him. The psalmist said, help me, O Lord, my God. Every once in a while, you just need to start your day, start your prayer, walk into a situation and just under your breath or maybe out loud, say, help me, Jesus, right now. We went from there to this phrase, hallowed be thy name. What a beautiful phrase that is in the Lord's Prayer. Because to hallow something is to honor it, to set it apart, to adore it, to worship it. And we coupled that with Jesus' phrase, I am the door. You see, there's a door, there's a gateway. There's a lock you can unlock that lets you go into the presence of God and walk in unfettered and unhindered. And it's just a natural expression, and you honor his name. The most instinctive and easy kind of worship is one word. It's the word that gets you in the door, and it's the word thanks. You see, the psalmist said that you can enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You can walk into his courts with praise, and here's how you do it. This is the key to the lock of prayer. Be thankful unto him. And bless his name. It's so good just to look up at Jesus and say, thank you, God. And then we went here. Thy kingdom come. Oh, I like this part of the Lord's Prayer. This is an imperative uh, sentence in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And we coupled that with Jesus' phrase, I am the light of the world. 
And in that lesson, you'll remember, Jesus said he's the light of the world, but then he called us, his church, the light of the world. And we are literally his on-site observers here in this world, and we're to bring his light to a darkened world. You don't have to provide the deliverance, the salvation, the miraculous, or the power. You're the switch that turns on the light. If the switch is connected properly to the power, you flick the switch and the light comes on. You're the switch. And you bring his kingdom and his will into your situation by praying a simple prayer. Anybody remember? Yes. Yes to God's kingdom. Yes to God's will. Yes to God's word. Yes to God's purpose. And if I don't think anybody could say it better than Paul did, he said, all of the promises of God in Jesus are yes, they are yea, and in him, amen. In other words, God shows us in his word, in the person of Jesus Christ, what he looks for, what he wants, what pleases him, what angers him, what frustrates him. So we know by studying the word of God, and we know by saturating our lives in the presence of Jesus, what pleases him. And so it's pretty easy to figure out, God, I'm saying yes to your kingdom. It's your will that my family be saved. It's your will that I walk in your way. It's your will that my future be blessed. It's your will. And so I say yes to the will of God and yes to the kingdom of God. Somebody shout yes. That part of the prayer is an imperative. It literally is Come, kingdom of God, and be done, will of God. So it's not a hope so or a wish so. It is a declaration. Yes, the kingdom of God is coming. And then this phrase, so beautiful, but probably the most misapplied phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, coupled, of course, with Jesus' phrase, I am the bread of life. Give us this day our daily bread is not the language of a ransom note, of a kidnapper, of a demand. It's not anything hostile. It's not gimme, gimme, gimme. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you're not saying give me what I want. You're saying, Jesus, I've already been in your presence. I've already prayed about your kingdom. Now I need to talk to you about what's going on here in my life. And so I'm not demanding everything. Everything I want. I'm just saying, Jesus, I have some real needs. It's not saying, give me everything on my list. It's saying, Jesus, you are at the top of my list. And because I'm living to please you, you told me I could bring you my needs. Give us this day our daily bread is not a demand for more. Instead, turn it upside down. It is a declaration of one prayer enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. Your word, your will, your church, your plan of salvation, it is enough for me. Paul said to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. If you've got godliness and you've got contentment with it, that is an amazing way to live your life. And then we went here. Oh my, did we ever go here. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Coupled strangely with Jesus' phrase, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. 
And in that lesson a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how sometimes the only fix for relationships, whether it's your relationship with God or your relationship with others, is to say or to pray one simple word, and that word is sorry. When we pray it to God, God steps in and he prunes sin from our lives. When we pray it to God, he comes in and he does the hard work that maybe we can't even see of rooting out the things that are messing us up. But here's the point. Jesus made what we pray to God, I'm sorry, conditional on what we say to other people. And sometimes God uses other people, otherwise nice people, otherwise normal people, to come into your life and maybe give you a little bit of grief. And God will use them to prune your life. And so you need to live and stay and pray in this attitude of repentance and forgiveness. Jesus said, if we forgive men their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, God won't forgive you your trespasses. If you don't forgive, if you hold unforgiveness, if you keep a long, lengthy list for many, many years in your life, in your head, then you shut down God's forgiveness toward you. And finally, last week, um, this is such a powerful part of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Twinned with Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And last week, we discovered how even a defenseless sheep, a sheep that can be a little bit dumb sometimes, even a defenseless sheep can pray this prayer. And if you do, it'll make you a spiritual survivor. You know, there are a lot of people that kind of spring up overnight. They serve Jesus for a while. They come to church for a while, but they don't survive. It's because they don't learn to pray this part of their prayer. This is simple, but it's powerful. If you pray this prayer consistently, it will keep your flesh in check. It will guard you from temptation. It will deliver you from the snares of the devil. And it's this one tiny, huge word. And the word is no. You see, Jesus told Peter, and then he told all of the disciples, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth. Everyone say no. That's when you bind something. You say no to it. It will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, everyone say yes. That's when you loose something. It will be loosed in heaven. So you pray according to God's word. You say yes to th some things in your life. But equally important, you say no to other things in your life. You say no to the invasion and the incursion of the devil in your life, in your mind, in your home, in your family, in your marriage. You say, no, devil, you're not welcome here. Very, very important. Now, all of these prayers are very simple, but all of them are very powerful. Say them with me if you would. Everyone say, help. Thanks. Yes. Enough. Sorry. No. They're all simple, but they're all powerful. But like every other prayer you could ever pray, they have to be prayed in order to be effective. Not just studied in a Bible study 
or remembered because we reviewed them, but actually prayed to be effective. To be, to be a prayer, you've got to use your mind and your mouth. You've got to use your voice and your vocabulary. You've got to use your words and your worship in order to pray these things. You know, you could say it like this. Don't just sit there. Don't just stand there. Pray something. Because a lot of times we sit around like innocent bystanders or helpless victims, and we just let the world and the devil knock us silly when all the time you've been empowered to pray in ways that stop hell dead in its tracks and advance the kingdom of heaven. So you've got to use your mouth. You've got to use your voice. You've got to use your mind and your vocabulary, and you've got to pray it. So don't just stand there when something happens. Pray something. A lot of us know how to say something, but we talk to the wrong people. Your first impulse is to reach for the phone and tisk 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 with somebody about what terrible thing just unfolded when your first impulse should be, Jesus, we need your help right now. Jesus, I say no to that in that person's life. That should be our first impulse. Now, one of the reasons we kind of get prayer uh, kind of messed up is because we've transitioned away from using our, our voices many times, even in church, to our North American form of entertainment appreciation, which is clapping the hands. Clapping the hands is wonderful, but it's dangerous to let it become your only form of worship expression. The Bible speaks only once about clapping our hands in worship in that verse right there. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. That's the only time in Scripture the Bible tells us to clap our hands as a worship expression. But the Bible speaks to us many times about using our voice. So whether you're praising or whether you're praying, learn to use your voice and actually have a conversation with God. Because the same verse that says once, oh, clap your hands, all ye people, says shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And that concept is everywhere. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Continually. That word there in that psalm, if you look it up in a Hebrew lectionary, here's what you'll find. It means to kind of babble on and on and on. It's, we would say like a broken record. His praise just goes over and over and around and around in my mouth. Hebrews 13, New Testament. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. It's an ongoing conversation. That is the fruit of our lips. Not our imagination or our mind, but the fruit of our lips. Something we say giving thanks to his name. I say it again. Don't just sit there. Don't just stand there when life throws you a curve. Pray something. Speak up when the devil is giving you grief. Don't talk to him. That's useless. Talk to Jesus about what the devil is trying to do to you and God can turn it around. 
It gets so powerful in Scripture. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In your mouth, there's death or life. In your words, there's death or life. If I could say it this way, in your mouth, there's accepting defeat or there's praying victory. What we need to do is push the devil back sometimes. Romans chapter 10, New Testament. Paul said, the word is nigh thee. It's right next to you. It's near you. Where is it? It's in your mouth and in your heart. It is the word of faith which we preach. This Bible wasn't given to you so you could read it and keep it captive in here. It was given to you as a textbook for life. It was given to you for a textbook on prayer. And so you have a right as a child of God to reach into the scripture and get a hold of a word from God and just keep praying it and just keep saying it until you see it fulfilled. It's near you. It's closer than you think it is. You can turn your situation around by what you say. That's why the Bible says in another place, let the weak say, well, I'm weak. No, that's not what it says. Let the weak say what? I am strong. You say, well, that's a logical conundrum. That's a contradiction. No, it's not. Not when you realize that the God who formed you can heal you. That the God who made you can strengthen you. That the God who knows your name, he can fix your family. See, when you get that, then you get that principle. So I may feel weak. I may be weak. The doctor may tell me I'm weak. But let the weak say, I am strong. Because there's more to me than this old frail flesh. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I am strong in the spirit and strong in the word. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the sick say I am healed. Let the downtrodden say I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. That's how it works with prayer. So you got to learn and some of you have been at this a lot longer than I've been alive and I thank you for that because you're faithful prayers, your prayer warriors. But for those of you, especially if you're new to this, you need to learn to carry on a conversation with God all day long. All in favor of you taking time. You should. Take time in the morning, take time in the afternoon. Whatever your schedule allows and whatever uh, your natural bent permits. Some of you, you're not awake till noon, so if you talk to Jesus, he wouldn't understand it and you wouldn't either. But I'm all in favor of a time. But here's what I'm just as much, maybe even more in favor because there's some people that pray for their 15 minutes or their 10 minutes or their half hour in the morning and they never think of God all day long. But what God wants you to do is as you encounter life, he wants you to talk to him about it. One of the things I loved about some of our older preachers, I've told you this a hundred times, I'm sure. You'd be walking with them in a mall somewhere. I remember one instance, it was when we still had Woolco, not Walmart. And I was walking just in front of Woolco in the mall uptown with an elder preacher who's gone on to his reward. And we got talking about the Word of God, and he just started doing the Pentecostal shimmy shake and a little hallelujah right there in the middle of the mall. And you know what? I thought that was awesome. 
Some of you are thinking, I'd be embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed. I think that's wonderful that Jesus was so real to that precious elder that he got feeling the Holy Ghost. We could use a little bit more of that in our polished, well-presented YouTube-to-death generation. We could use a little bit more intervention of the Spirit of God. You see, the most meaningful conversations with the most meaningful people in your life, they are just like that. They're informal. They're candid. They're transparent. You don't have to schedule them or structure them. You don't have to agenda them to death. You just have them. They're conversations. That is prayer. You don't have to plan it. You just do it. You don't have to think, what am I going to say? and How am I going to fill the time? Stop worrying. Just let me take a load of guilt off you. Stop worrying about the amount of time you're praying and start thinking about, am I having a conversation with Jesus throughout the day? Are there moments of worship throughout my day? Are there moments of prayer throughout my day? Some of you would get a whole lot further if you'd think of having devotions all day long in little one-minute snatches than trying to discipline yourself to do something strenuous in the morning or in the evening. The ideal, do both. Have a scheduled time. When you were courting, you made a scheduled time to go pick up your honey bun and take her to lunch or whatever you did. That's not wrong to schedule something. It's love to schedule something. But it's also love to have a spontaneous relationship throughout the day. Those conversations with our friends and our family, they're as natural as breathing. They're effortless. They're endless. Sometimes they're voiceless. Brothers and sisters, that's how prayer should feel all day long. And so with all of that in mind, tonight we head into our last simple prayer. I love this one. It's a very fitting end to our series. And of course, it's found in the final phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And it's also found in the I am statement Jesus made at the grave of his friend Lazarus. From the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's nothing to say after all of that. You just say amen. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So let me unpack this for a few minutes tonight. I'm so honored and thrilled just to be able to teach you the word of God. Last week, if you remember, when we were talking about no, we talked about baby's first words. Anybody remember that? While you're all rooting for mama and dada, baby is rooting for no. And baby usually wins. This week, I want to go back even further than baby's first words. I want to go back even further to baby's first sounds. And I need your help. And I know you're behind a mask, so I won't know if you're doing this. But I'm going to trust you and I'm going to listen, okay? So the w sound. Everybody say w. That is one of the easiest sounds for human beings to make. In fact, babies are able to make the w sound before almost any other consonant. Sounds like t. Everyone say t. 
like a T. Say T. Now that takes a whole lot more coordination than W. Everyone say the S sound. Say S. That takes way more tongue and mouth coordination, more what they call fine tongue articulation than W. You don't even need a tongue to make W. Try it. Think. W. You don't need a tongue to do that. It's so simple. You just round your lips. As a result, the W sound, what we would call the W sound, that is one of the most common sounds across all languages. In one study of over 2,000 languages, this is amazing, 82% of languages had the W sound. Now that's pretty high when you consider only 30% of the world's languages have the Z, the Z sound, the Z sound, only 30%. And only 4% of the world's languages have the th, like when you say thick or thin or anything with a TH, say th. Only 4% of the people in the world pronounce that sound in their native tongue. Not so with w. A natural exclamation is one that you make without putting much thought into it. Like when you stub your toe and you say, ow! That's a natural exclamation. There was another study of various languages, and it found that people across cultures tend to use similar vowel sounds when they're disgusted, when they're fearful, or in pain. It doesn't matter what language they speak, they tend to make the same vowel sounds when they're in pain or disgusted or fearful. So these vowel sounds, smarter people than you and I have studied all of this, and they've determined that these sounds aren't just random. They're actually quite universal. They, they go across languages that are not similar at all. So if that's true, and these are universal across all kinds of languages, then how in the world, who in the world decided what would be a natural exclamation? Like, ow! Who, who decided that? Because that's universal across languages. They make the ah sound when they hurt themselves. How's that decided? Well, it's decided by what your face is doing and where your tongue happens to be in your mouth at that moment. Let me give a test here. When you're disgusted, your mouth stays mostly closed and your tongue tenses up. When you're disgusted, you say, ooh, ew. Say that, would you please? You, you feel that? You can feel it. Your mouth tenses up, your face tenses up, your tongue tenses up, that's ooh. But when you're in awe, just naturally, your mouth opens and your tongue relaxes and you go, oh. Right? The feeling of awe, the feeling of something stupendous or spectacular, naturally causes your face to make an O shape. And if you happen to make a sound when that happens and your face is making an O and you happen to make a sound, it's naturally going to sound like, oh, you're going to make that whoa. That's why the original use of the word wow 
it probably was not even considered language at all when human beings first started saying it across many languages. Wow. It's just natural. It's just the instinctive sound that human beings make when they're shocked or surprised or they see something that brings them pleasure or awe or wonder. And every language on the planet has a word for wow. And that just happens to be our English version. Some of them, they would pronounce it. We would think they're saying vow, but it's the same. We say wow. Many of those words are very similar. It's not surprising at all when you think of how the word was first made by humans maybe thousands of years ago. Wow. Everybody do something that makes everybody around you think you just got a revelation in Bible study. Would you just say, wow. (laughs) In modern times, we use the word wow as both a verb and a noun. We say, wow, she wowed them with her presentation or with her song. It's a verb and it's a noun, and it describes excitement or awe or wonder. Now, I know in our generation, like with every other thing in our generation, there are now a few cynical people kicking around that use it like this, wow. You tell them something wonderful and they go, wow. Get those people out of your life, number one. Number two, that's not the typical use of the word wow, even though some of our cynics today use wow as an expression of boredom or even contempt. But from the very beginning of language, wow has been primarily a totally natural interjection or exclamation. Wow. And that's why I think wow qualifies as a prayer too. Every once in a while, you just need to think about the goodness of Jesus. Look up at his heavens. Enjoy something with your family or your friends. Be in the middle of a church service and every once in a while. It's just so simple. But every once in a while, you just need to look at Jesus and say, wow. I saw a text from uh, a post. I don't know what kind of post it was, Twitter or something, from my friend Ryan Dean, Brother Jerry Dean's son. Um, Ryan's little guy. He's got two boys, Raylan and River. And uh, in church this week, uh, Raylan, the oldest, was praying for little River at the altar, and River got the Holy Ghost while his big brother, who's about this high, was praying for him. And Ryan tweeted this. He said, I thought me getting the Holy Ghost was the high watermark of my life. He said, it just got eclipsed. And then he said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. That's one of those moments when you just say, wow. Hmm. It's amazing. There are lots of wows in the world around us. Our universe, because it was constructed by God, is literally built on wows. And that's why science, if you study it, it's filled with wows. If you look through a telescope, you can't help but say, wow. You might feel like you're just sitting in Bible study right now, but that is a total illusion. 
Actually, while you think you're sitting here in Bible study, the earth is spinning around you, around its axis, at a speed of a thousand miles per hour. Every 24 hours, our planet pulls off a celestial 360 in the heavens. At the same time, the earth is hurtling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That is 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So even on a day when you feel like you didn't get much done... Don't forget that you did travel 1,599,793 miles through space. And to top things off, the Milky Way is spinning like a crazy galactic pinwheel at a dizzying rate of 483,000 miles an hour. No wonder you're tired tonight. If you look through a telescope, you can't help but say, wow. But if you spin it around and you look through a microscope, you still can't help but say, wow. Trillions of chemical reactions are taking place in your body every second of every day. Right now, you are inhaling oxygen, metabolizing energy, managing your equilibrium, manufacturing hormones, fighting antigens, filtering stimuli, mending tissue, purifying toxins, digesting food, and circulating blood. And while you're managing all of that in your little body, your brain is performing up to 10 quadrillion calculations per second using only the equivalent of 10 watts of power. A computer would require a gigawatt of power produced by a nuclear power plant just to pull off the same performance as what your body is doing right now. Now, you've probably read or heard about genomes. If your personal genome sequence could be written out longhand, it would be a three billion word book. The King James Version Bible has 783,137 words. So your genetic code, which is unique only to you, your genetic code is the equivalent of nearly 4,000 Bibles. And if you could take your personal genome, your personal sequence, and make it into an audio book, and if somebody read your, uh, your sequence, your genome, at a rate of one double helix per second, it would take nearly a century to read your genetic code. Yeah. So when you look up, or when you look into a microscope, if you've got any sense at all, you just got to say, wow. It's a good thing to walk out in God's creation sometimes and look at a blue sky or maybe even a rainy day and just look up and say, wow. Now, I know there are people who say, I have never experienced a miracle. Nothing could be further from the truth. Please hear this. You have never not experienced a miracle. <laughs> the world you live in is a miracle. 
But you aren't just surrounded by miracles. Your human body, your existence, your brain that can comprehend what I'm thinking right now is a miracle. You've never not experienced a miracle. You're a living, talking, breathing, moving miracle every second that you live. And if you think about the creator that gave you the privilege of having a life to live and an eternity to gain and a family and friends and a great church, all you got to do is look up at the heavens sometimes and just say, Jesus, wow, this is awesome. I think it qualifies as a prayer. There are lots of wows around us everywhere we look. Human history is filled with wows. God's redemption story is just one big wow. Our church's history, 60 years strong. You just got to look and say, wow. That a group of people walked into this space right here where we're sitting tonight in what we now call the old sanctuary. They walked into here and this was the biggest building that they'd ever heard tell of for a church of, of, of probably just about any kind, but certainly an apostolic church in the province of New Brunswick, Canada. And they walked into this big cavern of a room and then they filled it up with the help of God, and overflowed it. And that's why we got a new sanctuary now. You just got to look at the history of a church and say, wow. If you think about it for a moment, you realize that your life is filled with wow moments. Your spouse and your family, your kids and your grandkids, your friends and your church, your, your personal journey of faith, how God's met you time and time again. So many blessings. Every once in a while, that's what just messed me up tonight. Our dear friends in China, when I think of all the persecution that they've endured even just recently and the oppression and the fear they must have encountered, and yet the, the sum of all of that is actually we're still growing. You got to look at that and say, communist China versus this little apostolic church, you just got to say, Jesus. Wow, it's amazing. But the greatest wow of your existence has not happened yet. That's because the most amazing moment of your life will be the first moment after your life is over. Whether you die and go to heaven by way of the grave, or whether you go with all the rest of us in the rapture, the greatest wow you have ever uttered will be the moment you see Jesus face to face. No wonder the Bible says in the book of Revelation that there's going to be 30 minutes of silence in heaven. I think that's all of us just going. My great uncle Leonard Parent who was the first apostolic believer in our family, received the Holy Ghost a hundred years ago this past December the 28th. He was ordained into the ministry by an elder of the apostolic faith named G.T. Haywood. G.T. Haywood was not only a preacher and a pastor. G.T. Haywood was a songwriter. He wrote that old hymn that we sing, uh, I see a crimson stream of blood. It flowed from Calvary. And he wrote many other hymns. But one day, G.T. Haywood... I imagine he was getting ready to preach a sermon about heaven. 
So he did some calculations about the new Jerusalem. And he took the Bible description and he figured it all out. And he didn't have a calculator, so he did all his multiplication and addition longhand. And he came up with this. And I'll just read it verbatim from what the elder G.T. Haywood wrote many years ago. The new Jerusalem's walls are 212 feet thick and 1,500 miles high. If you could set the New Jerusalem, if, if you could set it on the North American continent, that city, the capital of heaven, would reach all the way from Maine to Florida and all the way from the Atlantic Ocean to the state of Colorado, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles high. If the main avenues, now we're not told this in Scripture, but he said if the main avenues were one mile apart and one mile on top of each other, there would be no less than eight million streets in heaven 1,500 miles long. If heaven could be cut up into cubes based on those streets, and if it contained rooms that were each one mile by one mile by one mile high, the New Jerusalem would contain 3,375,000,000 rooms. And here's his punchline. If you started at the time of Adam and spent one hour in each of those rooms, by now you would have visited less than one quarter of them. Wow. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26, he said, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The greatest wow of your spiritual journey is not when you got the Holy Ghost, as wonderful as that was. It's not when you were baptized in Jesus' name, as awesome as that experience is. It's not when you saw a miracle or you saw a lost loved one come back. The greatest wow moment of your spiritual journey isn't going to happen here on earth. It's going to happen probably on the way up in the air. It's going to happen one moment after the rapture or one moment after you die. But the only word for that moment will be, Imagine that a person born in sin, shapen in iniquity, a person that was rebellious and sinful and headstrong and strong-willed, a person that ran from God when serving Him would have done you so much better. And yet He welcomed you into His family and He forgave your sins and He let you be His child. And then He prepares this place. He's been gone for 2,000 years working on this beautiful city that we're going to get to live in forever and forever and forever and forever. When you look at that and when you think about that, there's only one prayer that's fit to pray. Wow, Jesus, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and it lasts forever. Wow! Amen, Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he's going to live again. There is nothing that can separate the child of God from God. No enemy, no sickness, 
no trial, no trouble. We've sent on so many great people, great elders, great saints of God, great ministers of the gospel to heaven from our very church, let alone all the others that we know of. We haven't lost them. They're not gone. We will see them again because we know him and they knew him. And in that moment of great reunion, when you see Jesus on his throne and you see your loved ones worshiping him like you are worshiping him, yes. tears running down both of your faces. No wonder God has to wipe all tears from our eyes. We're going to be, my goodness. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Death is the worst, the last, the final, the greatest enemy of humanity. And the Bible says in Paul's writing, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death because it's the worst. It's the most feared enemy. But can I tell you that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If he can raise you from the dead which he will, he can certainly deal with your problem today. He conquered the last greatest enemy of humanity first. When he died on the cross, he was buried in the tomb and he rose from the dead. So the worst enemy of humanity, the last great enemy of humanity, the last on the list of the human race to be destroyed, he conquered it first, 2,000 years ago. If he could conquer death for you, what do you think he can do about your health situation? What do you think he can do about your family circumstance? What do you think he can do about all the other things that you talk to him about? Wow. <laughs> Somebody say it in an awestruck moment of adoration to Jesus, just say wow and then let your praise just rise in this room because he's worthy. To him be all the glory and the honor forever. To him be all the worship and the adoration forever. Wow, Jesus, you let me be part of your family. Wow, Jesus, you forgave me of my sins. Wow, Jesus, what a world you've created for us to live in. And wow, Jesus, what a hope we have when our hearts are hurting and our emotions are raw and our eyes are filled with tears. What a hope we have. And I would say to you, at the end of this series, I would say to you that if you prayed many of these other simple prayers, and they are simple prayers, and you don't seem to be getting the results that you think you should be getting. Two things. Number one, keep praying. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep praying. Jesus told parables in the Gospels for one purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't give up. But secondly, can I tell you that just like the Lord's Prayer ends in, wow, Thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. Just like the Lord's prayer ends in wow, your life and your prayers are going to someday end in wow. All prayer, if pursued far enough, 
eventually becomes praise. Oh my goodness. All prayer, if pursued far enough, eventually becomes praise. You're either going to get your answer down here and you're going to worship God or you're going to crack the sky in the rapture, step on streets of gold and understand in a flash why God allowed what you thought was so awful, why his purpose unfolded that way in your life. And in that moment, you're not going to be looking for the complaint department to fill out your form. You are going to just stand and say, wow, Jesus, I didn't know, I didn't realize I, I was so short-sighted, but I'm just human. But God, all prayer, if pursued far enough, will eventually end in praise. And in that moment of great eternal praise, I believe we're going to be saying hallelujah. But I think every once in a while, we'll probably slip in one, one of the most instinctive, oldest words in the human language. Oh, my. I worship you, Jesus. We've learned it. We've quoted it. We've prayed it. We've preached it. We've taught it. And we call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, Set apart and honored and adored be your name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done here in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I hope through this little series Maybe it's simplified the Lord's Prayer a little bit for you because you can sum up the Lord's Prayer in seven simple prayers that can change your life. And those prayers are not only simple, they're just one word prayers. Somebody say help, thanks, yes, enough, sorry, no. I was three years old. They've still got the recordings just in case I ever do need to be totally embarrassed. And my mom and dad taught me to sing hymns that were far beyond my three-year-old brain's comprehension. But when you're three years old, you just learn the words. You sing them. You don't maybe even know what they all mean. And they made a recording of it. I know that's going to come back to haunt me someday. <laughs> in my future, I'd probably play it at my funeral. My precious dad, who slipped away from this earth back in September, taught me this song when I was three years old. When I walk up the streets of gold, when I walk up the streets of gold, how my heart will rejoice in the morning when I walk up the streets of gold. I believe that many of you, you're going to pray, you're faithful, godly people, and you're going to have many moments here in this life 
when because of God's answers to your prayers, you're going to get to say, wow. But I also hope that even if some of your prayers don't get answered, you take a little walk through your life and a little walk down memory lane and a little walk out in God's creation, one of these nice summer days that hopefully get here soon. And you just look up at the heavens and you say, wow, Jesus. But I can tell you this, if your road is littered with heartache and tragedy and travesty and pain and hurt and disappointment, I promise you on the authority of the word of God that you are still headed for a wow moment when all your questions are answered and all your prayers that you've prayed will be worth it. It will be worth it all in that moment that we see Jesus. It's such an honor to be able to teach you the word of God. Would you just lift up both hands and everything you got in your heart and, and everything that you can muster with your voice, because remember how important your voice is. Let his praise continually be in your mouth. And you can pray any one of those prayers or anything else you feel to pray or just offer him thanksgiving right now. But I just wish you'd let the Holy Ghost move in your life and in this place. And those of you that are watching from somewhere else, please let God's Spirit just minister to you right now. Because when God's people pray, heaven pays attention. When God's people pray, Jesus is listening. When God's people pray, the angels are put on assignment. When God's people pray. This world feels the effects of it. You are empowered to pray in ways that advance heaven and hinder hell. Lift up your voice, church. Great church, lift up your voice. I worship you, God. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I give you praise. You've been so good to us. Join with somebody in your bubble right there. Don't break a rule, but join with somebody. Take them by the hand. Let's lift all of our hands like a big choir just one more time. and Let's saturate this room with worship to Almighty God. The answer to every prayer you could ever pray flows in his presence. It flows in his presence. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, God. <laughs> Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I worship you, God. Oh, Jesus, I worship you, God.
We started here. Singers, help me. His name is wonderful. His